Hi, everybody. Welcome to Ask Us Anything, episode 17. Uh, people keep submitting questions, so we're going to do our best to keep answering them. I am Mark Graven from Kinexus, and I'm joined by our co-founder and CEO, Dr. Greg Jacobson. Hey, Greg. Happy to be here. Super excited to kick off a, another year of Ask Us Anything. Yep, and we've got um, questions about continuous improvement, standardized work, leadership. Um, we'll go for about 30 minutes here. But one thing I want to talk about first, this is more a question I, I had for Greg. Um, this is Ask Us Anything, so I'm, I guess I'm part of an anyone I can ask a question. Um, and in two weeks, um, we are going to go as a Kinexus team. 15 of us are going to go down to San Antonio to tour the Toyota plant there. So I've had a chance to do the tour a couple of times before I learn something every time. Greg, my question for you is, you know, why spend an afternoon taking the team there and, and what are you hoping to see or learn? So no questions about basketball or instruments or, or we anything. Haven't gotten, we're gonna... We haven't gotten those questions today, so I'm starting <laughs> off. I'll, Great I'll, question. I'll... So yeah. it's, it's funny kind of reflecting on this, Mark, when we initially started talking in the very early days of Kinexus, it, it became pretty apparent to me that to, to lead a technology company and to be able to provide a software platform to facilitate really anything, we needed to become technology experts or we needed to build a team of technology experts. And um, we, you know, I had a deep background of Kaizen specifically, but also Lean in general. And uh, you being a part of that team brought a ton of, of Lean expertise. And as we've gone from you know, a two to a four to a, you know, a 10 to now a 15 pushing on 20 person company, it's pretty clear that you and I can't, can't be there in every decision making or in every opportunity to learn about a lean principle. And we're involved in you know, fairly complex conversations with a lot of our customers where, while we're not providing the kind of the consulting or the CI expertise, we do need to have a really good understanding of all of the concepts. And so, so there's just a basic kind of lean IQ, basic CI concept here. When, when people join our company now, we, we do have reading material. They do go through some of the videos you put together. We, we have one-on-one -on -one discussions. They go through kind of our, our, our monthly um, activities that we do at Kinexus and uh, even some of the Gemba Academy videos that are really excellent in that. And uh, the, the other kind of aspect to this, other than just kind of increasing basic lean CI, is what we realize is, is that that our Gemba at a um, software as a service provider that in, in many cases um, it's really difficult to, to get on site is is going to be really important to you know actually get out of our entire office sometimes. It's right. not just you know, getting out of the office and going to the shop floor, it's actually having to sometimes get on a plane and, and really get involved in understanding what are our CI experts doing, what are frontline staff doing. And so what a better experience than to go to the to the, the grandfather of it all to go. We have one of the best resources sitting in our backyard. And it, it just became very apparent that, you know, perhaps we're not going to go to a what do we went one year we went to a um, those solve a puzzle to get out of the room um, and that was a great kind of fun engaging exercise but 
But this time, yeah, we're all going to hop in cars, head down to Toyota and, and see what we can learn. And I think there's going to be surprising connections that some people are going to make that have really one, maybe never even visited a manufacturing organization, but certainly never visited one that um, kind of has that that pedigree and that history of of lean in, in general. So yeah, I'm really looking forward to it. Yeah, I'm curious to see what people see. You know, I've, I've shared some prep material with the team, like I've done in previous years when I've um, you know kind of volunteered to take some local healthcare groups when I lived in San Antonio to the plant, because you know people in healthcare would say rightfully so. You know, lean is not about turning the hospital into a factory, right. but there are certainly conceptual lessons around methodology and leadership that are applicable because it's people, it's process. So when I've gone with people uh, in healthcare, they're fascinated by things and trying to make connections with say the Andon cord. You're in a Toyota plant and you go through the tour, the Andon cord gets pulled so often, you inevitably hear the chimes going, you see the lights blinking. You might actually see someone reach up and pull the cord. What happens, you see a team leader come almost immediately. And so people in healthcare, look and say like, wow, if you could only imagine if a nurse going through her work in let's say the ER is overloaded, needs help, something's missing. Nurses are often just told to fend for themselves and, and there's not that help chain. And so I think that's one thing I'd be curious, what does that mean for people within Kinexus? If somebody needs help, how do they make that call? We're not gonna hang cords right. over everybody's desks, but what, what's the process? Yeah, We're asking it, for help, getting help, and 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 also the the process of asking for help and that action is interpreting that as a sign of strength, as a sign right. of trust, and uh, not looking at that as oh you're getting in the way of we need to move some patients along or we need to build some cars. And so I, I think so. There's going to be this kind of fundamental. Lean IQ, we'll, we'll use that. Then, then I think there's this this need to go to Gemba, and you know, I, I'd love to say Toyota is a Kinexus customer, but I don't look at Gemba as just places that are using Kinexus software. So it's just any place that's doing good, good lean and, and continuous improvement work. But then I think what I'm really interested in is just all of the unexpecteds that occur, because I think that will be the bucket that will be the largest of oh, th there will be outcomes and connections made and aha moments and learnings that, that are going to completely surprise us. And, and I think that's where the value is gonna mostly be. Well, and, and maybe we'll, we'll figure out ways of sharing some of those reflections through blog posts or we'll do a webinar or something. How about that? I love it. All right, so um, here are uh, questions from our Canexus community. And I wanna thank you for submitting those questions. Um, some people submitted questions very recently. We might not get them until the next episode, get to them until the next episode. But uh, Lynn asked, you know, how do we sustain and grow our continuing or developing CI, continuous improvement culture? How do we keep everyone active by recognizing, coaching, rewarding them? Um, well, I think in a, in a way, you know, Lynn, you answered your own question. How do you keep people engaged? It's the role of leaders to continue asking people to speak up, to your point, Craig, encouraging people to do that recognizing when people have made improvements or when they've tried, um, you, you coaching people. You know, I think engagement is a very active thing. But then there's another part of her question 
uh, I'll point to you, Greg, and maybe you can you know, address the other parts. What can technology do to support mm-hmm. enable continuous improvements? So maybe you can talk about what some of our customers are doing to use technology to engage, recognize, coach, reward. So as much as I love talking about technology, I don't want to not have an opportunity to say a couple things about the, the first part of the question. And then I'll be happy to kind of give some background and kind of how we interpret technology in general. But one of the things that's the most surprising to me in engaging with organizations that are doing this type of work is this recognition or the, the, the lack of recognition of the need to continuously add energy to that system because entropy is going to happen in any place. And so it's not that you get a program started and then it's just in perpetual you know, mode where it never needs to be engaged again. In fact, right. it, I would argue that you know the beginning portion, maybe that's where you should regulate the, the least amount of energy should be should be uh, spent and used just get something started as long as people recognize that that if you're going to put 10 units of work into the start you're not going to be able to put zero units of work or 0.5 units of work a, 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 as time goes on in fact there's pretty good evidence that shows if you are going to do that type of stuff it's actually going to backfire and create um, not animosity but distrust to employees and to the company in general that, oh, well, the leadership isn't serious about this because they don't do that sustainment type of work. So you're going to have to beat the drum and there's no right answer. And what worked in January of 2017 might look different in January 2018. And as long as you just apply some basic principles of respecting people and uh, this recognition of this ever improvement quest of excellence then you probably won't do the wrong thing as long as you don't as long as you don't think it's going to be easy. Okay, so mm-hmm. moving from well, that, let me add one. Please, so about you probably won't do the wrong thing. There's even less risk of doing the wrong thing if you are treating your continuous improvement efforts as a PDSA cycle. I'm doing something as a leader. I predict that's going to engage people and get them participating. So I plan. I do. I have a hypothesis. Then I study and I see, huh. People aren't participating. That shouldn't be the end of the story. That should be a point to adjust, try to understand what we could try to do differently and move forward. And and maybe that participation will work today, but it won't in six months. So you need to keep looking back at the system. Or maybe this type of department worked really good with this flavor of participation, but this other type of department, that's why you can't roll. You talk about that frequently, Mark. You can't roll out. A, a program where you're kind of steamrolling people over, it really needs to be done as kind of iterative PDSA type of process where you are, you'll probably gain steam because you're going to get better and you're going to gain more institutional knowledge, but don't ever go in thinking, oh, well, we've done this a thousand times. So a thousand one is going to be exactly like the prior thousand. Um, right. So let's get to the technology question because I, obviously I, I'm fascinated with this question. And, and one of the things that I like to remind everybody is that if if you're doing anything other than speaking, you're using a piece of technology. So paper is a piece of technology. Bulletin boards are a piece of technology. Obviously, Word, Excel, PDF, those are all forms of technology. Email is a form of technology. And so whatever recognition or thought process you had with your opinion on whether technology plays a role in CI or not, 
I, I guarantee you, if, if your conclusion is, oh, well, technology doesn't play a role in this, I would challenge your thought process, unless you're literally doing oral tradition, then you are using a piece of technology. Then the question becomes is, well, which technology are you using? And is that technology been optimized to solve the problem you're trying to solve? And so, for example, if you are trying to, to do an A3, okay, well, this sheet of paper would work great to do an A3, right? And we, we, we've talked about that, you know, um, and seen countless examples of that. Now, if you're trying to do an A3 and you're trying to collaborate, and you're trying to do an A3 and you're trying to give visibility to the whole organization, if you're trying to do an A3 and gain uh, institutional knowledge and, and it being, you know, searchable, well, then, then a paper is a really limiting piece of technology. And so we find organizations really being hyper-successful with going to a platform like Kinexus to do that type of collaborative work. So technology can really help if you're looking to do things like collaboration and you're looking to do reporting. And really almost all things can kind of be tethered to that. What what um, one of uh, Jake Sussman, our, our, our VP of customer experience, recently he had this great analogy. It's almost like putting on looking glasses, uh, um, sunglasses with the word collaboration on one side and reporting on the other. And, and those are those are really areas where um, getting a continuous improvement platform can help with that. And it can also help with recognizing and coaching and rewarding in the events and PR and leader standard work, all the other kind of topics mentioned there. So um, mm -hmm. short of this becoming just all about Kinexus, I would just say, please reach out to us if you want to see exactly how a system like Kinexus could help your continuous improvement efforts. So, Okay, great. So we've got a question from Elsa. How do you connect continuous improvement, lean, and quality? So let me take a first pass at that. Well, I think, you know, for one, continuous improvement is a major part of lean. You know, there's different frameworks for defining lean. I like uh, the one approach, uh, the Toyota way mindset. They talk about two pillars, equally important pillars, continuous improvement and respect for people. And you know, I, I cringe sometimes when I, I've heard people say quite literally, we've been implementing lean for five years and now we're going to start with continuous improvement. Like, well, wait a minute, like to me, it's not lean without at least an attempt to engage everybody in Kaizen or continuous improvement. Like to me, that's just such a core piece of, of lean. I, I think they are very much one in the same. On, on the quality piece, I, I think it's interesting. Another way of defining lean is look at the Toyota production system framework. When we go to San Antonio, we'll see their display about the two pillars of the Toyota production system being uh, just in time, focusing on flow, you know, the right product, right place, right time, and Jidoka, or the idea of built-in quality. So quality is right at the core of lean and TPS. Sometimes I, th I think people get confused and they think lean is only about efficiency or yeah. only about speed. When, when lean at its core really um, does focus very much and contribute to quality. So the other comment I'll make, and I wanna hear your thoughts, Greg, I, I think sometimes unfortunately we have the quality silo, a department in an organization, and then we add in the lean silo or department. And you know, I've seen some organizations that are trying to break down those barriers and realizing that, hey, you know, we need to have more of a unified front around improving not just quality, but continuously improving 
everything else, every other dimension. What, what do you think, Greg? So it's an interesting question. I, I, I didn't understand the question at the level that I, I think I do now based on your answer, because to me, they're certainly not synonymous terms, but to me, they're such overlapping terms that it would be like trying to differentiate, you know, passing and dribbling and dunking and saying, well, how do I, you know, play basketball with all these, well, basketball is played with all those things. Why would you kind of differentiate? And so in, in my mind, um, I, there's this, there's the continuous, these are all kind of different flavors and they're emphasizing different aspects of a very, uh, of one unified body of knowledge, right? So if the unified body of knowledge is improvement in general applied to organizations, which is really just complex groups of, of humans, um, then you are, if you're saying continuous improvement, I think you're talking more about a philosophy of, of life. You're, you're, you're doing, and the action of that might be idea boards, um, but you're, you're really emphasizing kind of frontline, incremental, never stopping. This isn't done on, you know, the first Monday of every, of every month. This is just done always. I think if you're looking at lean, I'm thinking, okay, so someone describes lean, they're thinking of a management system. Um, it's a little bit broader in scope. It's going to have you know, different you know, areas that one of which is continuous improvement. And then quality, oftentimes, especially in healthcare, there's the, the quality department and the performance excellence department or the performance improvement department. And I always find those really bizarre that, that, they're, that they're separate, but it's just right. the way it is. So quality ends up being this really a um, synonym for data. Um, and, and hopefully you're, you're capturing the right data. And uh, those are meaningful metrics to whatever or whoever your customer is. But um, you know, we talk often, Mark, about the fact that, that there's improvement work and there's data. And, and we're not doing improvement work for the sake of improvement work. This is not kumbaya. You know, we're all, you know, having a, a seance or whatnot. If your improvement work isn't improving your data, then you're either measuring the wrong data or you're not doing good improvement work. I don't know which it is. You'd have to look. But um, those certainly should all be kind of looked at holistically as all part of really, I think, the same body of knowledge. Yeah. And I think when it comes back to the, the, the purpose of lean, the purpose of continuous improvement is competitiveness for the organization over time. You know, quality right. um, is not just something to measure. I see in healthcare sometimes the quality department's really focused on measuring and reporting. Like, right. Well, what about improving? Let's not, not, not just track the metrics. So quality is a goal that should contribute to competitiveness and success. Lean and continuous improvement, in my view, can both very directly com uh, contribute to quality, which contributes to competitiveness and, and long-term success. And I think sometimes, you know, we look and say, ask questions about how are we measuring quality? How are we defining quality? Is it really what customer values? Is it really what the voice of the customer is saying? So sometimes there are things that are easy to measure, and then there are uh, dimensions of quality that really matter. And um, hopefully, and I, love the, I love the definition of quality as meeting the customer's need because it, it puts the customer right at the middle of that, and and you can really kind of build a framework around um, that as well. And then you can get into really nuanced and philosophical conversations about, well, how do we know what the customer needs? Obviously, 
bringing the customer into that conversation is going to be a key part of that. Um, and, and, and in healthcare, there there is going to be some nuance there because sometimes what people need and what they want might might be slightly different. But um, overall, I think you can really uh, kind of get to the to the to the core answer there by including the the customer in that conversation. So. Mm -hmm. All right, well, we've got another question here from uh, Fozzie. How do you motivate and encourage managers and leaders to have leader standard work? Do you have a process to follow? So I, I think my first thought here would be to sort of look and say, well, you know, leader standard work in terms of practices and mindsets uh, is a solution. What is the problem being solved? So I, I, I uh, I would try to frame the conversation less around we're pushing leader standard work. How do we make people go along with that? Which might not be the spirit of Fozzie's question, but others sometimes ask that. I, I would step back and say, what problems, what's the, that matter to the leaders? What's their motivation for mm -hmm. trying something new to get out of their comfort zone, to take time away from other activity, to example, for, you know, example, to go, and participate in huddles. Um, I, I would start with the conversation and ask the managers, what are you trying to accomplish? And, and try to see how these different practices we would call leader standard work can contribute to meeting those goals or solving those problems. I, I, I think that's gonna tap into uh, intrinsic motivation as opposed to getting in the cycle where we're gonna tell you to do it, we're gonna right. audit you to see if you do and you're gonna be in trouble if you don't. Like, I don't think that's the pathway to success. What, what do you think, Greg? Yeah, and for one, I think your background leads you to have a little more authority in this because you've worked with so many different organizations and helping them think through this. And so as I was kind of thinking through, thinking through your answer, I was learning as much as anything, but I immediately thought of Daniel Pink's book. And then you said it like about yeah. five seconds after I thought it in really trying to understand extrinsic and intrinsic motivation. And it's, it's, if you read his book closely, he's not saying that extrinsic motivation is bad. He's saying that extrinsic motivation is often used when intrinsic motivation would have a much better result on performance, on the culture, the relationship. And so I think if we're talking about leader standard work and you then apply that to whether you should be using extrinsic and intrinsic, I think you would immediately say, well, that's an intrinsic a motivation type of scenario, um, and so so it's 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 a little bit of Jedi mind trick. It's a little bit of you're going to have to get into the head of the leaders. One of the things that that I find um, really helpful in general is, and, and to me this is standard work. I get this leader, but you know here's our checklist for for the webinar. Like you know, I had a meeting that went late before the webinar and I had zero stress when I got off the meeting because I knew I had, you know, 20 minutes prepared for this and it's good. I've got a checklist of, of what I need to accomplish. And, um, you know, we talked about the fact that we deviated a little bit from the checklist here and we discussed it and, and whatnot. So I think it, it and, and it's something I've been focusing a lot of at the end of 2017, thinking about 2018, but I'm trying to figure out ways to decrease stress in general in my life. I want 
as much as possible as Kinexus to be a stress-free environment. There's no way it's going to be completely stress-free. But right. the way I look at it is, is the more standard work and the more checklists you can have, the less decisions that you need to make, therefore, the less stress that's occurring. That doesn't mean that you're not thinking, right? Because you need to be thinking like, is this standard work creating value? And mm -hmm. why am I doing it? And did it work yesterday? And should we change it today? But overall, you kind of, I mean, I know my process when I sit down at my desk, I'm, oh, I'm going to go through my email and I'm going to go through my to-do-list and I'm going to you know, have this kind of process that in many ways may be personal standard work, but I guess I'm a leader, so I can say it's leader right. standard I, I mean, a checklist uh, is a form of leader standard work. I, I see and, and sometimes get to coach leaders who go out and when, when they're developing new habits, they may start off with basically a checklist. Some organizations call these status sheets or stat sheets. And early on, it's, it's sort of a guide of reminding them of questions to ask. It's, it's not meant to turn the leader into a robot any more than a checklist turns a pilot or a surgeon into a robot. But what you describe, you know, in conditions of stress, that's when we tend to forget things. And the checklist is a, a good countermeasure to prevent that. So, you know, early on, the leader may cling very tightly to their status sheet, but as they build comfort, they can, you know, the, 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 the sheet's there if they need it. Like, you know, they, they may develop such a routine um, and it's not a matter of life and death if they miss a step in, um, you know, the questions that they ask. So I, you know, I think um, the checklist is there. I think we use the checklist because there's benefit. It's helpful, it prevents, some of the risk of error, it reduces stress. And I think you, you touched on a great, a great comment in that leaders in work is trying to make leaders better leaders, mm -hmm. right? And so the, the concept that, that, hey, we're, that's when you need to tap into that intrinsic motivation, right? So it's, hey, we know you're a great leader. We're going to help you get better. And that's going to help bring leaders to do that. And um, by the way, um, we're going to kind of come up with a framework that if, you, if you're doing some or all or a portion of your day in this framework, you're going to uncover things and you're going to see insights into what you're leading that you hadn't seen before. And so it might be the, it's, it doesn't matter how long you've been practicing medicine. I'll use medicine as an example. You still go in and, and you do the chief complaint. You do, you know, the HPI, the history of um, the, of the, uh, the HPI, the um, blanking what HPI stands for. Um, the uh, history and uh, the HPI. The present illness. History of the present illness. <laughs> and um, and you go through the review systems and you go through, you know, the past medical and past surgical and the, the social and you do this framework, um, not because you don't know how to be a doctor or, or how to be a nurse, but because by doing a framework, you help uncover um, things in general, you help develop insights and you help frame your thought process to help make better decisions at the end because you, you have all the pieces of information. And so... I think ultimately you're going in, you're trying to get alignment on, hey, I'm here because we all can do what we do better. And we want to help create a framework that will help you become a better leader and then kind of building from that. Yeah. 
And then the other thing I would add before, we'll, we'll do one more question and we might run a couple minutes long, but that's okay. We'll deviate from our standardized work a little bit perhaps. But when you talk about motivation and Dan Pink and his book, Drive, you know, I, I, to me, the, 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 one of the key summaries is to say uh, extrinsic motivations work. The problem is the side effects. Good point. And, and I think part of the power of intrinsic motivation is that um, we're less likely to create dysfunction through side effects or um, the things that happen um, sometimes in organizations that don't contribute to long-term uh, competitiveness and success. It creates chaos and stress and dysfunction. And it gets into the the, the work that um, Simon Sinek and Leaders Eat Last, where he's breaking down, you know, cortisol and serotonin and, and dopamine and oxytocin. And you can, if you think about it in those biological hormones, and then you can look at an organization and say, um, one, I'd rather work in a heavy oxytocin, serotonin place because it's more enjoyable. Um, I think you're going to have less stress. You're going to have more joy in your life. But also, they perform better. I mean, let's not, you know, let's not forget that, that these, there's hard data showing that organizations that work like this ultimately have better performance than, than organizations that don't. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. All right. Um, last question that we'll cover here. Matt asks, how do you balance the need and the benefit of standard work with encouraging people to think outside the box and to look to continuously improve their work? So I think, you know, Greg, you touched on that earlier. It's the role of the leader to create a culture that encourages those behaviors. Um, one, one point I'll make is if a leader is uh, out at the Gemba, they're observing work, let's say maybe they're doing some sort of um, standardized work um, check, it's often a fine line. What you, you might see something that looks like a deviation from standard work, mm -hmm. when in reality, it's somebody doing a small experiment in the name of Kaizen. Right. So if a leader goes out there like a bull in a china shop and says, well, my job is to make sure people are following the standard work. And if they um, start criticizing or, uh, you know, uh, having a negative reaction and jumping to a conclusion, oh, you're not following the standard work. What I've always coached people to do is to ask why or say it appears like the standard process isn't being followed. Can you help me understand what's going on. And the person, if you have a healthy environment with some trust, they might say, oh, well, yeah, we're experimenting with a, a new method today. And oh, OK, well, great. And, you know, you, you, you can be encouraging instead of accidentally trampling right. on someone's Kaizen attempt. I think leading with a question that comes from a spirit of curiosity versus I mean, sometimes your questions can just be a <laughs> A point, a veiled attempt at just telling someone that they're doing something wrong, but but a, a genuine question coming from curiosity um, is going to go a long way. The other thing I'm I'm reminded, and, and Mark, you'll remember the quote probably better than I I will, but there's there there was some from from one of the kind of Japanese grandfathers of, of this knowledge, um, something the effect of without standard work you can't do continuous improvement. What what is that? Um, it's often attributed to Taiichi Ono. Um, Masaki Amai wrote this, and I think attributed it to um, Ono. Without standards, there can be no Kaizen. 
There you go. That was exactly the, the, the quote. And it, it makes sense, right? Because if you don't have a standard way that a process is done, then you, you can't improve on that. You're just doing complete randomness, right? And so um, I think that's a, um, a fundamental kind of observation to make. And just because you have standard work doesn't mean you're not challenging people to bring their brain to we're not checking that thing at the door, you know, we're bringing it to wherever you do your, your work. Um, and we're, you're constantly questioning and, and thinking about, um, how can this be easier or safer or just less frustrating? That's a great way to ask people what frustrates you. Let's work on those things. Yeah. So, um, in, in the spirit of, uh, standardized work, we're a little past our half hour point. So, um, well, I want to thank everybody for their questions. Um, we still have some questions queued up. Um, if, if your question hasn't been addressed, uh, please do tune in for future Ask Us Anythings. We'll probably do episode 18, I'm guessing maybe late February. We'll figure okay. out a date. We'll announce that. You can find that um, at kinexus.com slash webinars. But I can announce uh, the next webinar that's more of the presentation format. It's going to be on February 8th. Um, we're going to be joined by um, Jess Orr, who um, used to work for Toyota, and she is going to be sharing, um, teaching about um, the A3 improvement methodology. She's also going to frame it in terms of what they call Toyota business practices um, within Toyota. She's going to overview uh, the components of doing an A3. She's going to use an everyday example that I think everybody can relate to, because again, this isn't just about factories. Um, this thought process, this problem solving methodology is um, something that can be applied in personal life. So I'm lo really looking forward to that webinar. Um, again, go to kinexus.com slash webinars. You can do that right now and you can click and register for that webinar. Um, Greg, do you have a, a final thought well, that you want to leave? I, I will say about the webinars, and it's 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 something that I just want to make sure everyone's aware. All those webinars go into our podcast feed, and so that's a great way if you either forget to register or the time that it's being presented isn't convenient for you. I'm, I'm you know I'm listening to a half dozen or so webinar uh, podcasts in general, and uh, the Kinex ones just kind of right in there, so I'm able to keep up with everything. We try not to take up a a live seat by all the Kinexus folks at our webinars. So that's the best way we do it. So yeah, and, and people, people can listen to the podcast. This will, the, the audio of our Ask Us Anything will be out there. You can go to uh, our YouTube channel and you can also go to kinexus.com slash webinars. And there's a link for the on-demand webinar library that we've accumulated um, over the last couple of years. I, I'll leave on my side with the final words. Keep improving everybody. All right. And thank you, Greg. Thank you, uh, everybody, for joining us. Uh, this has been Mark Raven and Dr. Greg Jacobson from Kinexus. We'll, uh, we'll see you next time.